1: Um, this is a text about Jesus being tempted by the devil and we only really understand how powerful temptation can be when we've tried to resist it. One thing that has been, I think, growing a little bit in popularity in recent years is the concept of dry January. How many of you know what that is? You know, if you maybe drink a little too much during the holiday season, and uh, you hit the new year, you decide you're going to go dry. You're going to take the whole month and not take any alcohol in. And you can do it with other things too. You could do it with sugar. You can do it with coffee. I don't know why anyone would ever make such a foolish choice. But you could do it with coffee, I suppose. And and this is probably about the time of the month, at least for me, when I've tried things like this, where it starts feeling pretty difficult. You've been resisting the temptation to sugar or to having a glass of wine. Or, again, for you really crazy people, to having a cup of coffee and it's feeling difficult. It's when we commit to resistance that temptation feels strong. Our good friend, C.S. Lewis, put it this way in his great book, Mere Christianity. Listen to Lewis. He writes, quote, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie, Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. Jesus teaches us here in his own temptation about both who he is and about how we can faithfully obey him. As his people, we're we're in the middle, or excuse me, early part still of Matthew's gospel. And as we've been studying these early chapters, we find that Jesus is in the preparatory phase of his public ministry. He's getting ready to begin his work. And last week, we saw that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River by his friend John. Jesus told us this was done in order to fulfill all righteousness. Chapter 3, verse 15. Jesus, we saw, comes down to our level. He stands shoulder to shoulder in the river with sinners. Jesus wants to identify with us. He wants to tell us that he is in complete solidarity with us in all the fullness of our humanity. That's how much Jesus Christ loves you. I hope you know that. And as chapter 4 opens, we see Jesus is continuing to prepare. But now he's being prepared for his ministry in another way. He here is entering the battlefield of the wilderness and waging one-on-one combat against the devil. This recounting of the temptation of Jesus, which Matthew, by the way, only could have gotten information about because Jesus himself had told Matthew what had happened, is a really famous story. Even if you're not a Christian or aren't really familiar with the Bible or haven't been in church for a long time, I bet you've heard this story before. And there's so much here that we're going to have to be selective in what we cover. We can't go over it all. And so what I want to do is highlight for us two big things as we look at the story. I want to highlight the why and the how. The why is us asking what the larger purpose is behind Jesus' war against Satan. Something bigger is going on here than just normal spiritual attack. And the how is us asking what we can learn from the manner in which Satan attacks Jesus and how Jesus counters Satan's temptation. So let's, let's break it down like that. Why Jesus was tempted and how Jesus was tempted. Okay, look with me if you have your Bible with you. Verse 1, we see why Jesus was tempted. Matthew told us, chapter 3, that Jesus went down to the Jordan to be baptized. And now he goes up to the wilderness, to be tempted. In fact, verse 1 tells us that Jesus was led up by whom? Who does it say led Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads him there. And that is the first sign that this is a singularly significant Event. Why would the Holy Spirit, who has just come down on Jesus in the form of a dove, now lead Jesus into the desert, into this fight with Satan? Here's why it's because Jesus is acting here in his messianic calling. Jesus is not acting or living here only for himself. That's something you must understand about Jesus' ministry as we go through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is acting here, as he does in so many other places, as our representative. He is God's chosen king, and Jesus here is ushering in the kingdom of God for all of God's people. Maybe another story from the Bible would help. Another very famous story is the Old Testament story of David and Goliath. You remember that story. There's the huge Philistine army on one side of the valley and the Israelite army on the other side of the valley. And Goliath is the Philistine champion. And he repeatedly comes out and calls for Israel to pick a man to come and fight him. He wants a representative, a warrior who will stand for all the nation of Israel and whoever wins the battle one-on-one between David and Goliath, that side wins the entire war. That's an illustration of, of what's happening here with Jesus. Jesus has just been called the son of God by the father. And now the very next thing we see is that he sets off to prove himself, to in fact be the son of God by being tempted. This is Jesus showing us he really is the guy. I read this week a story um, uh, about the Union Pacific Railroad. As the Union Pacific Railroad was being constructed in America in the early 19th century, uh, there was this elaborate uh, trestle bridge that was built across a large canyon in the western part of the country. And one of the uh, engineers wanted to test the strength of the bridge. And so the builder loaded one of the trains of the, of, uh, one of the cars of the trains with, with or one of the trains, excuse me, with, with enough extra cars and equipment so that its normal payload was doubled. And then they took the train out into the middle of the bridge and they left it there for the entire day. And one of the workers asked, are we trying to break this bridge? To which the engineer who had built it replied, no, I'm trying to prove that the bridge won't break. That's what's happening in Jesus' temptation. He is proving that he won't break, that he won't buckle under temptation like all of us do. And we get even more clarity that this is the case in this idea That the wilderness, where Jesus goes, has deep resonance with those who know the story of God's people. We've literally seen every week how Matthew, particularly among the four Gospels, cares so deeply about the idea of fulfillment. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has done so far, particularly with his people Israel. And we see that again here. We see here among other things, that Jesus is acting as a new Adam. You remember the ancient story from very early in the the scriptures? Genesis chapter 3. The devil tempted our first father, Adam, along with his bride, Eve. However, they weren't in a wilderness. They were in a perfect garden garden. Eden, And they weren't famished and dying from thirst. They were well cared for. And they had only one command given to them. God had said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good, of good and evil. And on the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And we saw that Adam and Eve did not stand against the devil's lies. And they plunged themselves and all of God's creation into the turmoil of sin. But now Matthew is deliberately setting it up to show us that a second Adam has come. He again faces off against the devil and he succeeds where the first Adam failed and where we all failed. Why Jesus was tempted was to show us that he had come to fully obey God, to restore the world to what God originally intended. Jesus is the new Adam. But Matthew's also at pains to show us that Jesus is the new Israel. How many years did Israel wander in the wilderness? Forty. Jesus, for 40 days and nights, wanders in the wilderness. And the people of Israel in the Old Testament had seen the wonderful works of God. He had delivered them miraculously by his power and grace out of slavery in Egypt. But very soon, once they get into the wilderness on their way to the promised land, there's a one-word summary. If the one-word summary of Matthew is fulfillment, the one-word summary of the people's experience in the wilderness is complain. They complain again and again and again against God. In fact, the second test that the devil gives to Jesus, which we're going to look at in just a second, to which Jesus responds, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, recalls Israel's experience. In Exodus chapter 17, Israel is whining and moaning and complaining and saying, would you please let us go back into slavery where at least we had food to eat? And they demand of Moses that he provide water for them. And Moses screams out in frustration, why are you complaining to me? Why are you testing. Why are you testing the Lord? Can you see what Matthew's doing? Just as Jesus succeeds where Adam failed, Jesus also succeeds where Israel failed. Israel's call was to be a light to the world that displayed God's holy and loving character and repeatedly they failed in that calling. So now Jesus, the new Israel comes and he comes to be the light of the world to completely fulfill the calling that God had given to his people. And so listen, the temptation of Jesus is not primarily a text that is intended to give us some helpful tips about how to fight temptation in our own lives. Now it can do that, As we'll see momentarily. But mainly this story is not about us. This story is mainly about Jesus. Who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. Theologians uh, have a word, a, a term for what Jesus does here. The term is his active obedience. This is the active obedience of Jesus. Theology tells us that Jesus passively... Obeyed God in his submitting to betrayal and arrest and torment and death on a cross. And Jesus actively obeyed in completely loving the Lord with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He actively obeyed in always resisting temptation. He actively obeyed in fulfilling all righteousness. And listen, in the gospel, he takes not only our sin on himself, Jesus also gives us his obedience. Second Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul says it this way, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We become the righteousness of God in Jesus, granting to us, crediting to us when we connect to him by faith, his obedience before God. It's really good news, my friends, that Jesus didn't just come to die for you. Jesus also came to obey for you. Isn't that good news to those of us who disobey? I mean, if you're anything like me, that should be good news. To those of us who have fallen to temptation this week, who have fallen to temptation this morning, who have fallen to temptation in the last 90 seconds, take in, by faith, the amazing message of the gospel of grace, even though we fail to stand, God credits Jesus is standing to us. Even though we sin, God credits Jesus' sinlessness to us. Even though I am deeply unrighteous, God sees me as righteous in Christ. Here in a minute, we're going to sing that song before the throne of God above. And there's one line in there where we'll sing, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Why was Jesus tempted? To prove that he can both take our sin on self and give us his perfect righteousness. That's the why. The second thing I want to show you is the how. And it's instructive, I think, to see how Jesus was tempted. If you can get the why, then studying the how can help us in our own Christian living, in our own fight against temptation. And first of all, let me just be very clear on this point. Jesus really was tempted, okay? Jesus really felt the tug of temptation because Jesus really was a human, just like we feel it. He 100% felt and experienced it. Think about it. A temptation is only a temptation if it offers to you something good, um, whether it be pleasure or safety or security. For example, you cannot tempt me by offering me squash to eat. Let's say eating squash is a sin. That's a sin I'm never gonna commit because I hate squash. And so you can't tempt me by offering me squash. But if eating pizza is a sin, then you can easily tempt me by offering me pizza because I really, really like pizza. Jesus really felt the tug on his heart to go after these things. He really wanted bread. He was hungry. He had to feel it because he's fully human and because he's able to identify with us. So real quickly, let's look at the how. The first temptation that the devil coming comes and, and gives to Jesus is, is to attack Jesus in his weakness. Did you catch it? Um, I've been watching a lot of football, as I always do, and um, I hope you have too as a part of your Christian growth. Go Cowboys. Too many Packers jerseys back there. Um, <clears throat> so uh, golly, I'm totally lost now. What was I talking about? Football. Yeah, football, of course. And um, when when, like a starting defensive back on a team gets injured, a defensive back is the guy that guards the receiver, tries to prevent him from catching the ball. When a defensive back gets injured and his backup enters the game, the first thing the offensive coach will do is attack the new defensive back. He's going to throw a pass right at that guy first play because there's a reason that guy's not normally on the field. He's the weak link. So it's very common in football language to attack the weakness. That's exactly what the death does here to, to Jesus. He invites Jesus to question his identity. Did you catch that? If you're really the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus is starving 40 days with no food, but Jesus resists. We see by remembering God's word. Verse four, man shall not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of God, Jesus is saying, in other words, there are some things more important than food. Jesus is saying, starved though I am, I am not going to use my power to serve myself because I have come to pour myself out. I have come not to be served, but to serve. And I think this is instructive for all of us. The devil is will try to tempt us in our weak points. Food, drink, sex, money, pleasure, comfort, and so on. And listen, especially if you are a new Christian, especially if you are just getting started in your journey of faith, get ready. The devil is going to come after you in your weaker areas. One thing we've seen again and again in the story of our particular church is that when people come to faith, close relationships that they have immediately begin to experience turmoil and conflict. Because in part, the devil is coming after them and trying to make them think what I've done and coming to faith to Jesus was a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. It's going to cost me because devil, the devil wants you to believe that God isn't going to take care of you, that God doesn't want you to have good things, that you should satisfy every urge you have immediately. Be on the lookout. Trust God and his word. The second thing the devil does is to try something else with Jesus. And this is really a stealth move. (laughs) It's a cunning move. Verse 6. If you really are the son of God, again, he's trying to get Jesus to question his identity, right? God has just said, you're the son of God. Now the devil says, is that really true? Are you really the son of God? If so, throw yourself down. He takes him up in this vision on top of the temple. Throw yourself off. And then the devil pulls a judo move, right? He quotes the Bible back to Jesus. Psalm 91 It is written, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil is saying, prove it to us, Jesus, and prove it to yourself. That God really loves you. That what we all just heard, in whom I am well pleased, is really true. You're the Messiah. You're the son of God. Surely if you throw yourself off the temple, he's going to, I mean the Bible says, he's going to send these angels and he's going to take care of you. Take a literal leap of faith, Satan says. And the devil again even quotes the Bible. He misuses the Bible. Quick side note. A scary reality, I think, is evident here that the devil can be found in the church just like he can be found in the wilderness. He wants Jesus to take this leap of faith. He wants Jesus to say, God, act for me. What is happening? Well, we see it in Jesus' response. He says, verse 7, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Satan is trying to get Jesus to have God prove himself to him which in essence is manipulating God to do what we want or we need on our timeline. When I was a, a high school student, um, we went to summer camp and uh, there was a girl <laughs> that went to summer camp with us that I I really liked. I had a big crush on her. And um, about halfway through summer camp, I, I worked up the courage to make it known that to this girl, not just to others, to her that, that I liked her. And you know, I'd like to begin a relationship. Would you be willing to be my girlfriend? And, and she said to me, this is a true story. I swear this is true. She said, um, sure. I will go out with you, but what I need you to do first is go down to the river. We're in falls Creek, Oklahoma, summer youth camp, down under the river and jump into the river and get me a rock from the bottom and bring it back to me. Then I'll know that you're really interested and so I said, sounds great. And she was really pretty. And so I walked over to the river. I had my shoes on, everything. And, and I looked at the river as I stood by the riverbed. And, you know, that stream was flowing a little more quickly than I had anticipated um, when I got close to it. And I saw it was actually a little deeper than I thought. And I looked at the water, and I looked back at her, and I kind of looked around. And I thought, finally, you know, there's other pretty girls at this camp. <laughs> I think I can Decline probably shouldn't even use that illustration, but Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is asking, Satan is asking Jesus to tell God to prove it. Prove how much you love me. And Jesus' response, don't put God to the test, colloquially speaking, could be translated as don't play around with God. And I think this temptation is actually quite common. Uh, To presume on God, to attempt to use God, to manipulate God. The question behind this temptation is, are we going to follow God or are we going to expect God to follow us? God has already given us his word. He doesn't need to prove himself to us by us trying to force his hand, by by us demanding he take care of us in a particular way, in a particular time, by us doing something stupid and then asking him to cover cover us up. Uh, And I wonder if there's a place in your life where you're putting God to the test instead of trusting him. Are you asking him to prove it instead of exercising a reverent faith? Jesus resists the devil in the second temptation. And then, finally, the devil comes to Jesus again. And and to me, at least, this has always been the most powerful temptation. And did you notice it's noteworthy that Satan continues to take Jesus up? They start in the wilderness, and then he takes him high to the top of the temple. And then he takes him higher to the top of Mount Everest, proverbially speaking. And he gives Jesus another vision. And he says, I will give you the world if you will fall down and worship me. And listen, the idea here isn't that Jesus is going to become like a perpetual Satan worshiper. The language behind the text here is that Jesus, just for a moment, just take a quick bow. Just take one quick bow. That's all I ask. And then you can have everything. And think about this. Jesus, excuse me, Satan here is praying on what he knows to be true about Jesus and what he knows to be true about God. That is they love the world. He might as well have quoted John 3, 16 to him for God. So loved the world. Satan knows Jesus loves this world. He knows Jesus came to save the world. He knows exactly what Jesus's mission is. And so what's the temptation? The temptation is for Jesus to accomplish his mission, but apart from pain apart from the cross. It's a temptation to shortcut suffering. And Jesus, at this point, dismisses the devil, get out of here, Satan, and tells him again, from Deuteronomy chapter 8, I'm only going to worship the Lord. Even when it costs me, even when I have to die, he's the one I'm going to serve. Isn't it true that there are few temptations more powerful and more frequent than the temptation to shortcut pain, than the temptation to shortcut suffering, especially when we're offered a way to meet our goals, to realize our dreams, to have the life we want. The devil does this all the time. Just do this one little thing. Just take this one little step. Just tell that one little lie and you'll get there. We see it in relationships. We see it in work. We see it in our personal lives. Yet Jesus remembers, even when the path the Lord has me on involves the long route of suffering, I will trust that walking on it is the best thing. Let me wrap up with three quick things that I think we should take on the how. How can we learn from Jesus here? Understanding that he is acting for us and giving us his his act of obedience. How can we learn to grow in our own ability to fight temptation? Three quick things and then we're done. First, remember your baptism. You know what Jesus does? Satan questions his identity and Jesus has to remember, I am God's beloved. The benediction God pronounced over me just a few minutes ago in my baptism is true. And that's also true for us. Remember your baptism. Now, some of you, I know, aren't able to remember your literal baptism, but you can remember what it means. It's a sign, and it's a seal upon your life that if you have come to Jesus Christ in faith, he is going to perfect you. He is going to be with you. His promises are sure. Don't forget your identity. A second principle, soak in God's word. Jesus must have been having a devotional in Deuteronomy because all three of these quotes he gives from the Bible are from Deuteronomy chapters 6, 7, and 8. He's able to use what Paul in Ephesians calls the sword of the spirit to ward off the devil's temptations. You should not expect to be able to fight and stand if you don't know how to use the weapon God has given. Soak in his word. And then lastly, Go to Jesus in victory and go to Jesus in failure. At the end of the day, it's not our obedience or disobedience that determines our standing. It's Jesus's. And so even when you fall, as we just sung, even when you stumble, you can trust that Christ has not stumbled and that he has granted to you by his great grace All of his righteousness. Isn't it good news? Isn't it good news that the gospel gives us all that we need? Christ bore temptation for us and now through his word helps us in it as well. Let's pray.